We'll read the first nine verses, Psalm 107, beginning the reading in verse 1. Let's hear God's Word. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. God bless the reading of his precious word. Bow with me for a moment, please, in prayer, and let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we call upon thee in Jesus' name before we commence preaching thy word. Thou dost know we need the Holy Ghost. He is the one that thou didst send, that he might be one who comes alongside and helps thy people. Thy servant needs him to come alongside now and to bear him up in thy word this Sabbath day. Give the hearing ear as only thou canst, mind that understands what is being said and longs, longs for the Lord to come and sit down beside them that his truth might find a lodging place in their souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I, I suppose that the psalm before us this morning ranks among some of the greatest psalms dealing with the issue of expressing gratitude to God. It begins with the psalmist appealing to the Lord's people. They're called the redeemed in verse 2. To give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Four times in this psalm, the psalmist calls upon the redeemed to praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. If ever there were a people who should praise the Lord at all times, it should be the Lord's people. Those who are bound, as Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, are bound to give him thanks always. Bound. The Holy Spirit declares that the Lord has done. He has done. He's going to do, but he has done already many wonderful works for them. You just stop And consider, look and see, and you will find a world of wonders 
a world of wonders in the life of every child of God. And if there is a world of wonders done by God in the life of every child of God, it should move them to a world of praises. It should. After all, they are redeemed. They have been ransomed. That means a price has been paid to free them from the hold of their master. They were slaves. And he's been delivered from bondage. They certainly had no power to deliver themselves. That would have been their state all their life if there had not been a redeemer who would pay the price for their redemption and free them from that bondage. The redeemed of the Lord are a people who have always been, in and of themselves, bankrupt, powerless, feeble, and undeserving of any goodness from God. And so we as God's people should often find ourselves taking up the words of that hymn writer in one way or another and sing, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. Loudest praise. Not mumbling. Not whispering. Loudest praise. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. But truth be told, we are not so ready to say with David, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. No, we murmur, complain, behave as if we haven't been recipients of the wonderful works of God. We forget all about what he's done for us, is doing, and his promises what he will yet do for us. Why? Well, a number of reasons, but certainly the devil wants God's people to be full of ingratitude. Why? Well, the fact is, He hates it when God is glorified in our praise. He's all about himself. He wants the glory. He wants to be praised. He wants the worship. And he can't stand it when God is praised and when his people are full of thanks and gratitude and praise the Lord. He hates a praising people. He hates a praising Christian. So the psalmist, under four different pictures in this psalm, of God giving deliverance to men from certain destructions, each one separated by the plea, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, shows, shows just why the Lord's people should be full of thanks, why they should praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful work to the children of men. This is what this psalm's about. 
While the four situations presented by the psalmist speak of deliverance from physical danger, physical destruction, they are but types and shadows of the spiritual blessings that God gives to his people, the spiritual deliverances. This is not just about someone getting saved from dying of thirst or hunger, literally. It's just one of those deliverances that takes up our attention this Lord's Day morning and Well, it will take up our thought this evening as well, but that'll be down the road. And, And even then, it's only one little thought, one little thought within this section that I want to focus on. After he calls upon men in verse 7 to praise the Lord for his goodness, the psalmist says this, For he satisfieth, verse 7, he satisfieth a longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. On the surface, those words are describing those who are literally wandering a desolate wilderness. And I have gotten a clear picture the last nine days of what a desolate wilderness looks like. I can't imagine being out there for hours on end with only a bottle of water. I can't imagine what it would be like to be the children of Israel in a wilderness like that in raging heat. And they're about to run out of water and food. That would be tough. They were also lost because the text says they were wandering. They found no one to help them because they were in a solitary way. That word solitary means desolate. There there wasn't a little town close by. Someone could come out and give them a hand. It was desolate. Worst of all, their water and food supply ran out. They were hungry and thirsty. They were ready to die. But you know what? They cried to the Lord, verse 6, and he delivered them and led them forth by the right way to a city. It says a city of habitation, but it simply means a city to dwell in. And in that deliverance, he satisfied their longing and filled their hungry souls. That's what I want to speak to you about this Lord's Day, this matter of hunger, this matter of spiritual hunger. Remember that the physical hunger of which the psalmist speaks points to a far more vital truth, and that is spiritual hunger. And what is spiritual hunger? Well, To put it in the simplest of terms, spiritual hunger is really nothing more and nothing less than hungering for God. Hunger for God, and that's the subject that I invite your attention to this Lord's Day. I want to examine that subject by asking four simple questions about hunger for God that I will seek to answer this morning 
begin to and then finish up, Lord willing, this evening. First question, what is it? What is hunger for God? Second question, why should we want it? Third question, how does it come? The final question, how is it satisfied? Hunger for God. First off, what is it? What is hunger for God? That word hungry is mentioned in verses 5 and 9. In some form or another, the Hebrew word occurs over 130 times in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated in our translation by the word famine. As in Genesis chapter 12, we read, And there was a famine in the land, there was hunger in the land. Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. That's the word. The word is used often in the latter chapters of Genesis to describe the famine that was in the time of Joseph's day. The famine in Egypt, and Joseph opened up the storehouses, and that's a whole other wonderful sermon about Christ opening up the storehouses to feed his people. But there was hunger in the land. The Israelites complained to Moses in Exodus 16 about the lack of food and said, Ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So you find that word all throughout describing this longing. People are hungry. So on, 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 a, on a physical level, what is hunger really all about? Well, it's a desire. It is a longing, depending on how hungry you are. A longing for something you don't have. And something you feel you really need to be satisfied. A longing for something you don't have currently. And you want it. You know you need it. I don't think I'll preach that long, but physical hunger can come when you haven't eaten for a while, should come. Your stomach is empty and it wants to be filled and it sends signals to your brain. I'm empty. I need food. And the longer you go on, the hungrier you become. You're longing for food. What do you say? I'm starved. I'm famished. That's hunger. Or your stomach is only partially filled, but it still doesn't have what it wants. There's, there's this lack of fullness, and you're not going to be satisfied until you're full. In either case, hunger is something that brings you some kind of discomfort, some kind of pain to one degree or another. That's why we speak of hunger pangs. Do you have them on the spiritual level? Hunger pangs. The psalmist, of course, is speaking about 
spiritual hunger, ultimately, which is really all about hunger for God. So spiritual hunger is desiring God. It's longing for the Lord to fill an emptiness. It may take many forms and express itself in various ways, but when all is said and done, spiritual hunger is the desire, the longing of the soul for God. I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for the Lord. I have this desire for Him. This longing for God is found all throughout Scripture. In Psalm 42, verse 1, David says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Yes, in that case it's thirst, but it's the same idea. Thirst and hunger, there's something I want, I long for, I miss, and I have to have it. In Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Those words in Isaiah 26, the desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. And Job, Job was hungering for God when he said in chapter 23, verse 3, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. I'm hungry for God. Now, to get to the heart of the matter, what does this desire, what does this hunger for God look like in the believer's life? What does it look like in your life and in my life? Several things I want to set before you. First, there is a longing for God's presence. A real longing for God's presence. Maybe you're raising the question, what do you mean, Pastor? God is omnipresent, isn't he? He's everywhere present at once with all of his being. So David could say in Psalm 139, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? No matter where I go, even if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Furthermore, every believer has God's presence in their lives through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The promise is, he will never be taken away. He will always indwell God's people for all eternity. Never leave us. Never forsake us. That wasn't just God, that's the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit will never, ever leave us. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So you all this morning are little temples. And in you dwells the Holy Spirit if you belong to him. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, what does Paul say? 
He is none of his. Everyone who has Christ has the Spirit. It's Christ's Spirit living in them. And yet David could pray in Psalm 51, what? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I've got to figure that out. How does that work? And he could write in Psalm 42, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Where is he? And you'll read of Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel and so many others longing for God's presence. Longing for the experience of God's presence despite the fact that God is omnipresent and despite the fact that God would never stop dwelling in them. Why, why does that happen? Why is this hunger for God created? Why is there the lack of the experience of the presence of God that would make these saints cry out, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Why does that happen? Well, number one, and the answers to that question are, are varied, but number one, sometimes their hunger for God's presence was simply because it pleased God to hide himself for a season. He is sovereign. He does what pleases him. He always does what is best. Sometimes it's best, God knows, for him to withdraw, withdraw from his people. To withdraw the sense of his presence, of his nearness. He hides himself. The Lord's people have been used to living in the reality of God's presence. They seek him and they find him. They have been living in the conscious enjoyment of his presence. Something they can testify to. It's part of their Christian life, their Christian testimony. They know what it is to live in the presence of the Lord. The blessing of God was so evident on their lives, they they couldn't help but know that God was with them. They walked with him. They talked with him. So real. Job speaks in chapter 29 of how he used to enjoy the Lord's presence in his life. Turn there just for a sec to Job 29 and see how he describes his own experience. Job 29. I'll pick it up. Job 29, verse 2. This is Job hungering for God. Listen to his words. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when the kiss candle shined upon my head, and when, my, and when by his light I walked through darkness, 
As I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I, was wa- when I washed my steps with butter, and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. But Job has lost that experience. It's done a 180 for him. That's just a memory for him. He's remembering how it used to be. The good old days. It's changed so much that Job could say, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. I have looked, I have looked, and I have looked, and I have prayed, and I have prayed, and I cannot find God. And he's hungry. He's longing. He's desiring for God's presence in his life again. You know, brothers and sisters, you never miss something you've never had. Never. But once you've had it, and it's gone, you miss it. It wasn't because there was something wrong with Job. Because you know, chapter 1... The Holy Spirit says of Job that he was a perfect, upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. The Lord said about him to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's there's no one like him in all the earth. He was a holy man who walked in the fear of God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Job had sin in his life just like every other Christian. We'll never be sinless till we're glorified. But it wasn't for that reason that God took away from Job that reality of his presence. And the Lord never told him why. There is no record in Job. We can speculate, but the Lord never explained to him why I did that. Job was holy. But there was a deeper holiness that God wanted to work in Job's life. And that's the path he chose to take him down. I'm going to hide myself from Job. I'm going to let the devil assault him with everything he can do except take his life. And I'm going to withdraw as if I'm not there. I'm not going to answer his prayers. I am not going to give him the sense of my presence. I'm going to withdraw those blessings that he had gotten so accustomed to. Sometimes that's why we find ourselves hungering for God. And you can know full well it's because God has a work of deeper holiness he wants to accomplish in your life. 
And he knows it will only come about, brothers and sisters, as we hunger more for him. As we want more of God. Because we have the tendency to get settled down with where we are, to become complacent and not want more. Just perhaps, just perhaps in this little flock, I don't know because I don't live with you. But that's how it is with you. Oh, it's not that you're out there living like a profligate. It's not that you're in the depths of backsliding. It's just that, well, God wants to take you higher. You've asked for it. Make me holier. Make me more like Christ. You've prayed for it. The Lord says, okay, I'm going to hide myself. So you'll hunger for me. That's the way to go higher. Sometimes Christians find themselves hungering for God's presence because, in the second place, they've grieved the Lord because of their sin. You compare that with what you read in Hosea chapter 5. God exposed the sins of Israel and Judah and how they had dealt treacherously with him. Verse 15, here's what he says. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. But your iniquities, Isaiah 59, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Presence withdrawn. You see this expression of the face of God. It's an Old Testament way of describing the experience of God's presence. It's beholding the Lord. Remember that ironic blessing, blessing, the Lord make his face to shine upon thee. That's about experiencing the presence of the Lord in your life. It's an experience. I mean, it happens. It's not a theory. It happens. And the hiding of God's face, as he speaks of it, is the loss of that experience. And all the enjoyment and the blessing that comes, as the hymn writer puts it, that comes if we but dwell in the sunshine of his face. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. Content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. Lord, I just want the sunshine of your face. If I don't have your presence, 
in my life, everything is bleak and barren like the desert outside those doors of this building. When God's people want the presence of the world more than the presence of God, and that looks like something, when they look to satisfy the hunger, the emptiness of their soul on the husks of this world, I tell you, God will hide himself. When a child of God, when a church is in that state, they are living, they are living like the world that denies the existence of God, that denies his presence. They live as if there is no God, For the fool hath said in his heart, the fool, there is no God. They imagine that God is not present. Listen to me. That God is not present to see everything they do. To hear every word they speak. To know every thought an imagination of their heart. Live as if God's not there, as if he's not omnipresent. And, 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 and while, while believers will never cease believing in the existence of and the, and the presence of God in the world, they can, through neglect of the Lord act as if he's not there. Act as if his presence is not something to be sought for. And so God says, in essence, since you are living as if I'm not with you, as if I'm not in your life, I'm going to take from you any sense of my presence. I'm going to hide myself. Sooner or later, the true child of God will begin to feel that hunger for God, that longing for his presence in their life once again. They'll miss the Lord. And they'll seek his presence. Lord, how I've missed you. You know, when you say that, you have confessed, you got content for a while in living without the reality of his presence in your life. It'll be like the Shulamite in chapter 5 of Song of Solomon. Her beloved is knocking at her door. And oh, how he comes and he knocks and he knocks. But she's on her bed of ease. It's so comfortable here, I don't want to get up. 
until he puts his hand upon the lock. There's an awakening. And she gets up and goes to the door, but he's gone. My beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. There she is, hungering for God. She had enjoyed close fellowship with her beloved. But something, something came in between them. She took for granted his presence. Something else took her affection, took her time, took her attention. And he became a second thought to her. He knew how to deal with it. I'll withdraw myself. Sure enough, she went searching for her beloved because she was hungering for him. Child of God, that's how you want to come to church every time you come, hungering for God. Hungering for God. We see this hunger again in Psalm 80 where the psalmist is lamenting the spiritual state of Israel. Things are bad. Prayers are going unanswered when you read that psalm. Prayers are going unanswered. Their hearts are heavy with sadness. Their diet is their tears. They eat and drink their tears continually. And the enemies were laughing at them. Mocking them and their God. What was the reason? It's found in that statement that occurs three times in that psalm. His prayer is, turn us again. Why is there need for that? Because they needed to be turned. They had turned away and they needed God to turn them back again. It was sin. And God was hiding himself. You see, here he is in fellowship, the face of God, the face of his people. They're looking at each other. But when they sin in this fashion, he turns away. Because they've turned away. And now they're pleading, Lord, turn us back again. Because they know when God turns them back, he has already turned his face to them. And they enjoy once again the presence of God. What do you find them praying three times? Cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. The awareness of your presence again. The experience of it. There's a third reason why this happens. This hunger. Sometimes the hunger for God is there because God's people have tasted the goodness of the Lord and they want more. It makes them want more of God. We all know what that's like in the physical realm. Sometimes something just tastes so good It's so pleasing to our palates, one serving is not enough. May I have seconds, please? 
pass that dish again. It's so good. We say, don't we? What does it taste like? It tastes like more. Do you know there's a spiritual counterpart? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you taste the goodness of God's presence, when the Lord comes in and draws so close to you, it's like you could touch him. As real as real can be, you want more. You just want more. And that's a wonderful thing. You see, there's, there's just no substitute for the presence of God in the life. Nothing can hold a candle to it. Not all of the organized church meetings. Not the most talented of Christian singers. Not even the most eloquent and passionate preaching It's not a substitute for God's presence in your life. It is as we live, as we live in that awareness, that we hunger for God's presence in our worship. Whether it is private worship in our prayer closet, or whether it's when we come to the house of God, the one thing that we want above all else, Lord, visit us today. Make us aware that you're in your house. Not just a matter of faith where I believe the Lord is presence, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there is God in the midst. We all believe that. But you can believe that with all of your heart and not have that gracious experience of the Lord drawing near to you. Whether it's at home, in that room you go to to seek God, or it's in the pew where you sit. It's real. It's to be sought for. We can't do without it. What did Moses say? If thy presence go not with us, carry me not up hence. I can't do this. I'm going to tell you folks something. I cannot preach as I ought to preach without God's presence. Nor can you hear as you ought to hear without God's presence. It'll just be a sermon. You'll forget all about. It won't have any lasting impact upon your life. It won't have any impact on how you live when you walk out that door. That's, you see, what's make, that's what makes the feast. That's what brings the joy. That's what lifts the heart and thrills the soul and strengthens your faith and deepens your love for the Lord. There's also something else about this 
that was just the, the first thought about what is hunger for God. This longing that sometimes, and why it happens, but now, in closing, hunger for God is also a longing, a desire for communion with God. It's not only longing for his presence, I want to experience that, but you have to see that that means there's going to be a longing and a desire for communion with the Lord. Yes, there is a desire to live in the awareness of his presence, to live a God-conscious life. I've often thought of Elijah when he appeared for the first time before King Ahab. Here's what he said. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. He was standing before Ahab, but he was aware of another king he was standing in the presence of, and that was Jehovah. That was living a God-conscious life. That's something we want. But it's more than wanting, longing for the spiritual perception of the Lord's presence. It's actually a desire for communion, for fellowship with God. You all know the story about those two men on the road to Emmaus, right? What was their reaction to the felt presence of Christ? Let's hear what they said. They drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made, as Christ made, as though he would have gone further. And their discourse and their time together was about to end. That's what it appeared like. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with him. You see that? We want to keep fellowshipping with you. We want to keep communing. We don't want this to end. Abide with us. Stay with us. Dwell with us. And they enjoyed sweet fellowship. Christ spoke to them. And they spoke to Christ. That's communion. That's fellowship. So to whatever degree, to whatever degree there is hunger for God, there is hunger for communion with him. It only makes sense. There is a desire to hear God speak through his written word to your soul. That's why there's a desire, a longing, a hunger, an interest in getting the word of God open to find out what he says to you. You want to hear from him. You want the Lord to talk to you. Lord, speak to me today. Show me wondrous things out of thy law. Give me a word today that I need to dwell on today. Because you know what this day is going to bring. I can't tell you. And you, I have, I'm sure it's your own experience. I've gone to the start of a day. And Lord, I just need some word for where I am right now. And lo and behold, I couldn't have asked for anything better. It's just the word I needed. 
That's why there's an interest in sitting under and listening carefully to his word as it's preached. Because you view it, if the thinking is biblical and the preaching is biblical, you view it as the Lord speaking to you. You really are interested. You want to hear what God has to say. Somewhere along, somewhere along the line, you want, well, the Lord spoke to me today. Isn't that what you want? Or do you find yourself just enduring the sermon? And as we were talking about this morning, was it on the way here? About there's, no, no. No, there was never a clock in my church. Whenever I had a church, I did not put a clock on the back wall. So, Herb, if I ever come here, there's a clock on the back wall, I'm going to ask you to take it down. Nothing more annoying than a... Well, you're preaching. What time is it? Of course, today, clocks, you got phones and all that junk. But that's not the spirit of someone who's hunger for God. What, do you have to, what does God have to say to me? Today, there's a word for me. And that hunger, that desire for the Lord to speak to you, it doesn't matter what he has to say. It does not matter. It might hurt. It might be a a sharp sword that pierces your soul very deeply. Let me tell you folks something. I'd rather have that than have God be silent to me. Any day of the week. Sometimes it's such a word of comfort. Because that's what you needed. Sometimes that word of rebuke or that word of encouragement to stay at it. Not give up. Whatever it is you want when you're hungering for God, you want to hear him speak to you. The other side of it is you speak to God. Hungering for God must and will translate to whatever degree the hunger is, it will translate into speaking to God. It's not going to be a one-way street. Sometimes you'll hear Christians who are lonely described as hungry for fellowship. What do they mean? They mean that they want to be with other Christians. They want to be in their company. And they want to listen to other Christians. And they want to talk to other Christians. And talk and talk and talk. That's fellowship. It's not a one-way street. The greater the spiritual hunger, the deeper our hunger for God, the greater will be our desire to talk with Him. And it can't be any other way. You know what the answer to prayerlessness is? Hunger for God. Always has been and always will be. When you're hungry for him, you want to talk to him. What did Job do? 
man, he was hungry for God and he kept crying and crying and crying to God. Resolutions to pray or to pray more, no matter how earnest they may be, will not make you prayerful. But an honest hunger for God will. That's what hunger for God is. We've got three more questions to answer. And I promise I will do it within this prescribed time tonight if you'll come back. Right now, Lord, am I hungering for you? Am I hungering for your presence in my life, in my home, in my family, in my church? God will not let a people who are hungering go on and on without satisfying the hunger because that's what the text says. God, write that word on every heart for his name's sake. We bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word today. Thy word will not return unto thee void, but it shall, it shall accomplish the ends whereunto thou hast sent it, and we praise thee for that promise. There is a work for that message today to be done in all of us. O God, where there is no hunger, we pray that thou wilt create it. Where there is hunger, we pray thou wilt deepen it. Give us that desire to enjoy more than we ever have in our entire existence the near presence of Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.